Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. So I wanted to speak to Jonathan because Jonathan certainly has tremendous amount of insight. And uh, talk to Jonathan about, you know, what has been the status of immigration, making Aliyah, people making Aliyah during this time. So good morning, Jonathan. How are you? Hi, Kathy. No, good morning. Uh, you know, it's interesting you speaking about your, your inclination to want to be here. It's one of the same reasons. Uh, the flip side of the coin is why I couldn't leave. Why I, other than having a son in the army, yes, I um, just don't feel like it's proper when we're in the middle of a war for me to be. I, I could be working. I was supposed to have been on a book launch tour, but I certainly didn't feel like it was the time to leave Israel at all. It's, it's a crazy thing. I mean, I actually did an interview for Deutsche Welle about it. Um, you know, in the in the in the few weeks following the October seventh attacks. You know, Jewish restaurants, and and I'm sure that it happened, well, obviously it happened in Israel, but I'm sure that it happened in other countries of the world as well, that Jewish restaurants, people just stopped going out. If they wanted to, they got takeaways, but they ate them at home. We're sitting in South Africa, where the anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic attacks is probably the lowest in the world. South African has South Africa has terrible anti-Semites. They really don't know how to anti-Semite very well, thankfully. And... Um, yeah, I, I mean, just the impact. We all felt it profoundly. And a lot of people I know have made Aliyah at this time. So, you know, what's your sense about that? What what made you give up what you had in the States and move to Israel? It's interesting. I've been asked to write an article, uh, in fact, about that, about my, my Jewish identity. When I was, a, my father was born here. He was he was what I call an original Palestinian, yes. uh, because he was a Jewish child born in, in uh, Haifa in 1937, when the British referred to Palestinians as Jews, him and his parents. Um, my father also gave me a name that, for the entirety of his life, he could never pronounce. So I had a very, yeah, he always called me Jonathan, and my identity was not only Jewish, but Israeli, and I knew that when I came here as a teenager for the first time, that it was a place I wanted to live and raise my own family, which is pretty crazy. Um, it, it's for me, it's a, I, I'm a huge Jewish nationalist. This is the place to be. Um, the quality of life is better than anywhere I've lived. And I grew up in America. It's not a bad place. The quality of life, raising children. Five of my six children were born here. And they all thank us for choosing to live here because over the years they see what their lives would have been like and very different had we um, chosen to, to stay there. And uh, it's almost 20 years. This, fall, this summer will be 20 years. I can't imagine having not made this choice. And even though I'm not fluent in Hebrew and we're still in many ways the immigrants and that's the norm, um, we've now got the third generation of little people who you talk to in English and they answer you in Hebrew and their orientation for good and for bad is everything about our country and that's, that's incredible. So you say when your, when your kids, um, see what their lives could have been had you not made Aliyah and had your children in Israel, what do they see? How, how do 
Israelis that have made Aliyah and natural-born Israelis see Jews in the diaspora and life for Jews in the diaspora? Um, Look, obviously you can't speak for I, everyone, I, but you're speaking for yourself. Right. I, I, I'm speaking for myself, but projecting how I think other other Israelis. There was a great book that I owned years ago called Kissing Through Glass that was the identity, how how, Jew, how Israelis and non-Israeli Jews even still were supposed to be united still can't connect on so many things and 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 that is true um, would you I say think that that's still true it, I do absolutely I think that is I think Israelis don't have any real substantial ability to perceive what li- the life is of a diaspora Jew that 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 there are you have to have police in front of your synagogues yeah that Jewish community centers are often miles from where you live. Um, that it, it, it's also in this article that's forthcoming, where you have to make more, much more of a concerted choice to live a Jewish life, whatever that means, in terms of religious or, or ethnically, than you do um, here, where where you can simply fall into it. And we're Orthodox. Not, not all of my kids, by the way, that's a, it's an interesting scenario. Not all of my kids are as religious as the other, and yet they're no less Jewish. And in, in the diaspora, and my experience is America, I can't speak to South Africa, is that if you aren't, if you come from a religious family and don't stay religious, you have a choice of or not. You don't have so much the shades of gray and still coming home for Shabbat and still of course, keeping a, a, a kosher home and holidays and vacations and everything still focuses around that. And I really don't believe, and it's not a good thing, that Israelis have no perception of what diaspora life is like. There used to be initiatives when I was young, for and maybe there still are, to bring Israeli leaders to understand. I don't think that that's substantial. We may never understand completely. Um, I hope that we can be more sensitive and respectful. I think this war has highlighted that, that we must be, what's it, call Yisrael Aravim Zebazet. We all, we really do need to be accountable and responsible for one another. And, and how you do so is not by lip service, but actually by understanding. It's the same way I build relations with Christians. I don't, I don't agree theologically, but how, the, the best way of making relationships of Figuring out how do we go on and and have meaningful a meaningful interaction is through understanding. Yeah, it's so interesting because often living in the diaspora is very nuanced, and it's nuances that Israelis don't understand. You know, there are things that that we encounter that Israelis don't have to think about, and maybe it's also Correct. because. You know, as diaspora Jewish communities, we are always looking at what is happening. What connects us is our view. And are keeping um, Israel in our crosshairs, right? That's one of the things that unite diaspora communities is Israel in a strange way, is that when something happens in Israel, when Israel becomes operative, we all feel it because anti-Semitism skyrockets, right? It doesn't take much to, to wake the sleeping beast that is, that is anti-Semitism. Um, so... There's that, but there's also viewing what happens in Israel, and we do feel it. 
when something happens in Israel, we feel it in our hearts. We don't just feel it in our security around the right, world. Right, hundred percent. There's yeah. no question. But never, but nevertheless, you're different because you have children here, and you're you're more connected. And I'll I, I'll speak about. We my all own connected, cousins. Jonathan. We all connected. I promise you. Everybody knows no, I, somebody who was attacked, who lost someone, who who was kidnapped on October the seventh. Every single. We're such a small population around the world. Correct. Correct. I, I'm going to speak about my own cousins, particularly because they'll never hear this. Yeah. Um, but they're so disassociated from Jewish life, really so disassociated. But this war has connected them. Of course, we live here and they're asking about they've never met my son-in-law. They haven't. They, if they were to literally bump into any of my children on the street, they wouldn't recognize one another. It's that distant because it's 20 years since we're here and my cousins are so disconnected from Judaism and Jewish life, but this has awakened them. And one of my cousins asked yesterday when I was sharing that my son went back into Gaza, she said, well, what about your son-in-law, Chilik? And I shared, I shared using shorthand that we Israelis understand what's going on with him and my daughter and their three kids and the trauma that they're all suffering. And I knew as I was writing it, there was no way she would understand it's like reading Torah without any kind of rabbinic commentary. You, you, there's, they're just parts you won't understand. And, and it goes both ways. Um, the gap year programs are important. There's not a, there is a little bit of a, a, a of a converse when, when we send our kids to work in Jewish communities and Jewish camps and go on, uh, uh, work as Benot Shirut overseas. And we do learn more and we do connect more, but, um, it's still a big gap. It's still a tremendous gap. I, but, but we're still connected. I don't know that I have the silver bullet to how to fix the gap, but I also still know that we are more connected. And I do believe that this highlighted that and we need to build upon it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Have a wonderful Shabbat. Shabbat shalom to Shabbat you, shalom. to your family. Yes. Um, I was actually saying earlier that, my morning was made when I didn't have to read the headline cleared for publication. And Yeah, uh, thank God. I, I was waiting. Amazing? I thought I missed it. Yeah. I thought I missed it. Yeah, okay. it's just thank amazing. God. It's just amazing. And right. also here in Joburg, no funerals today. So, yay. It's a good start. <laughs> it's a good start. Let's see if we can keep it up. Please God, it will stay like that. Yeah, thank you so much for this week and for just very, very meaningful conversations the whole week. Pleasure, Kathy. God bless, Jonathan. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. That's Jonathan Feldstein, founder of Genesis 123 Foundation, uh, giving us our first look at Israel this morning.